to try and name the, 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 the contrast again as we start up. And again, I'm, I'm very glad, very grateful for the things about leadership I've learned. But here's just a sample of, of my leadership library. That great book, Where Do We Go From Here? If you haven't read that one, you need to. It, it's mistitled. It's not Where Do We Go? You can't get there from here, but it's a very good book. Activating the Passive Church, Unleashing the Church, Sharpening the Focus of the Church, Outgrowing the Ingrown Church, The Church on Purpose, Preparing Your Church for the Future, Growing a Healthy Church, 12 Keys to Effective Church, Marketing the Church, Leading Your Church to Growth, Leading and Managing Your Church, Mastering Church Management, Leaders, Becoming a Leader, The Visionary Leader, Art of Leadership, Servant Leadership, Principle-Centered Leadership, Why Leaders Can't Lead, and my all-time favorite, The Leadership Secrets of Attila the Hun. <laughs> Great book. In all of those books, there's not one single mention of the poor anywhere. No consideration given. By and large, the poor do not have a place in the church growth literature. Neither does the phrase, let alone the dynamics, the kingdom of God. And that ought to put a really big question mark up there somewhere. From all that leadership study, I, I certainly learned one thing, leadership takes responsibility. It's a great deal of truth in that. I understood it, though, to mean that if something was going to happen, it was up to me to make it happen. And that fed my nature that drives, strives, and connives. And it certainly fed my proactive self-directedness. That got me into all manner of trouble. And it nearly bankrupted me spiritually. I certainly learned that spiritual exhaustion is the fruit of effort without authority. Without the anointing that we spoke of this morning. It's something less than the power of the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. And such a contrast, um, I worshipped at a church through the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, Baptist church, and uh, it was a satellite deal, and on Easter, uh, we would come together, rented the local living arts center, and so there were about 1,500 of us all together, and being the living arts center, it was up on stage, and, and they had black fire curtains and the big spotlights, and I was up in the balcony, and the, the pastor that was preaching is not my favorite preacher. And uh, even given the Easter sermon, he lost me. And uh, I took his text and I started writing my own sermon in my head, as we do. <laughs> Guys, pay attention. Uh, um. <coughs> and because I was, wasn't concentrating on what he was saying, I was kind of focused on him 
And then he said some stuff that I thought was outrageous, so I closed my eyes. Because I'd been staring at him, because the spotlight was on him against the black curtain, I had burned his silhouette into my retinas, and then it, it flipped. The curtain in my closed eyes was white, and he was black. It was really cool. <laughs> so I stared at him again for a while, and I closed my eyes, and I got it to flip. And I kept doing this for a while. I mean, I, I amuse really easily. And I heard in my spirit the Lord say, flip it again. So I stared at him. I closed my eyes and the image flipped. The Lord broke something open right at that point. I understood why it was this guy was not one of my favorite preachers at all. Because he'd flipped the gospel. Time and again, that's what characterized his preaching. I want to use that to help us understand what it is that makes the good news good. The mandate, good news to the poor. That because so often, so easily, we flip it. I think one of my, certainly one of, but my I think my favorite book of the Bible is Ephesians. Lord had me study it for about a year and a half to the place where Ephesians fell out of my Bible. I had to have it rebound and get stuck back in. I figured I'd miss it if it went. Begin reading chapter 4. And just in case you're wondering, I'm reading the Revised English Bible. It will read a little differently than NIV. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Live up to your calling. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing one another's burdens. I'm just going to pick here for a little bit. Verse 17, give up living as pagans. Verse 22, lay aside your old nature. Be renewed in mind and spirit. Put on the new nature created in God's likeness. 25, have done with falsehood. 29, no unwholesome talk. 31, have done with bitterness, rage, anger, insult, slander. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Chapter 5, 18, no more drunkenness. 21, be subject to one another. 22, wives submit to your husbands. 25, husbands love your wives. Children, obey your parents. <laughs> it's only right that you do. 6.11, put on the full armor of God. 14, stand firm. 18, be always in prayer. Now that's a short list of the imperatives that are found in chapters 4 through 6. And some of you have visibly slumped while I read that list. You just kind of got lower and lower and lower. Those of you who didn't slump, how, how many of you in the reading of that list now feel encouraged? <laughs> built up. Released. You just want to blast out of here and live up to your calling. Praise God.
what I listed were some of the imperatives of obedience. Grammatically, an imperative is the voice of command. It's what has to be done. What we have to do or stop doing as we follow Jesus. An imperative requires a response. They, they detail, the imperatives detail the life that we're called to live. And weighed in the balance, most preaching is in the voice of the imperative, the command. The thing is, as Paul writes Ephesians, he uses in the Greek a grammatical construction that we can't translate. It's called the hinge imperative, like a door, hinge. And it's in the latter part of 518. That hinge imperative runs like this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or actually, literally, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And everything else hinges on that. Live up to your calling but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't live up to your calling unless you keep on being filled with the Spirit. You can't be humble unless you keep on being filled with the Spirit. You can't give up your old life unless you keep on being filled. You can't submit unless you keep on being filled. You can't stand firm unless you keep on being filled. All of these imperatives hinge on this continuous filling with the Holy Spirit. I can see on some of your faces, you just go, oh, that in and of itself is good news. The hinge is an issue of control. Who's in control of the living of our lives? And that's exactly Paul's point in 5.18, because he's just said, no more drunkenness. <coughs> Be filled with the Spirit. You drink enough, you come under the influence for a couple, three hours. Maybe a little longer if you've had a little more. Paul says, no, not for a few hours. The whole living of your life is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Keep on drinking. The hinge turns on the indicatives of grace. I know some of you are getting really nervous right now. This is way too much grammar. Just take a deep cleansing breath. We'll be done the grammar in just a minute, okay? The imperative is the voice of command. The indicative indicates. It describes. There are descriptions of grace, of what God has done, is doing, will yet do for us in Christ. And there's a gospel syntax, a, an order to the description of this life in Christ. The indicatives precede the imperatives. If it's not that order, it's not good news. We need to have described for us all that Jesus has done for us 
And then when we know, when it, we've been reminded what Jesus has done, then we're ready to understand what our response is. If it's the other way around, it's works. It's what we do for Jesus. What comes before chapter 4? Chapter 3. What makes up the balance of chapter 3? Paul's great apostolic prayer. And most of it's written in the indicative, describing what God purposes for the living of our lives. Beginning verse 14, with this in mind, and you really need to start at chapter 1, verse 3, to have in mind what Paul has been talking about, all the indicatives of grace. With this in mind, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth takes its name, that out of the treasures of his glory he may grant you inner strength and power through his Spirit that through faith Christ may dwell in your hearts in love. With deep roots and firm foundations, may you, in company of all God's people, be strong to grasp what is the height and the depth, the length and the breadth of the love of Christ, and to know it though it's beyond knowledge. So may you be filled with the very fullness of God. Now to him who is able through the power which is at work among us do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus from generation to generation. Amen. If you will, this little sack is a human life. Our life. In it, our ability to take responsibility, to live the imperatives on our own, to uh, make our way through. It represents our ability to understand and to problem solve, our ability to follow Jesus, to live up to our calling, to be humble, to be gentle, patient. It's why we slump. We're not that successful on our own. There's, there's not enough strength. And that's why Paul says that we're to keep on being filled. If you will, this is the love of God. The height and the depth and the length and the breadth. And Paul says, prays that we would know it. That we would know it, though... It's beyond knowledge. So we might be full of the very fullness of God. This starts to make a whole lot of sense of a whole lot of life. Because some of you are facing some things that you just don't understand right now. And you're crying out, I don't get it. I don't know why God's letting this happen. Or worse, I don't know why God's doing this to me. 
This is your experience of the goodness of God. This is the goodness of God. There's lots we don't understand. This is the Lord saying in Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways, they're not your ways. My ways are higher than yours. My thoughts, higher than yours. This is why Paul says, we see in a glass darkly. Why we prophesy in part. This is why the gift of tongues is so precious. This is our ability to pray in our mother tongue, in English. This is the vocabulary of heaven. These are our prayers and petitions. These are the petitions of the Holy Spirit in and through us. There's lots of life we don't understand. But could you get it settled that the Lord purposes far more from your life, through your life, than you will ever understand? That he purposes a larger legacy for the living of your life than you will ever figure out on earth? That that's good news? Some of you are still going, I don't know. Turn it around. Do you want to limit the purposes of God to that which you can comprehend? See, right here, a miracle is a finite expression of infinite grace. A bit of heaven jammed into earth. We sometimes sing the song, Majesty, reign in me, your right hand enfolding me. The unfolding of grace is an outpouring. The enfolding is the drawing of our life into the grace of God. Ephesians 1 through 3, all written in the indicative. The first in a a burst of praise, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has conferred on us in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I have studied that. I've fussed it. I've translated it all sorts of different ways. I have no idea what every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is, except I know it's really big really good. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms already conferred upon us in Christ. Next time you're having an Eeyore day, you might want to remind yourself of that. Verse 17 of chapter 1, Paul's prayer, that we would know fully the hope to which he calls us. How rich and glorious the share he offers us in our inheritance and how vast the resources of his power open to us in faith. 
that gospel declaration in chapter 2 that once we were dead because of our sin and our wickedness, but God, rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, has brought us to life in Christ when we were dead in our sin. All of these descriptions of what God has done for us in Christ. Verse 6, that he has raised us up in union with Christ Jesus and enthroned us with him in the heavenly realms. Verse 11, once orphans, strangers, outsiders with hope, hope and without God, but now in Christ Jesus. We who are once far off have been brought near through the blood of Jesus and he himself is our peace. This is really good news for us tired, sorry, poor lot. What God has done for us in Christ. Again, an imperative without the indicative is not good news. It's not just Paul who makes this clear. The Apostle Peter, in his writings, does as well. 1 Peter 1.6, the imperative, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. If you pluck that single verse out, push it to the forefront, it feeds legalism. It feeds religiosity. It's not good news. But Peter learned his gospel grammar. Verse 3 of chapter 1, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he has given us new birth into a living hope. The hope of an inheritance reserved in heaven which nothing can destroy or spoil or wither. When we know that, that's the context, the frame for this call then to live holy lives. When that's our inheritance, why wouldn't you want to live a holy life? encourage you to search it out. You might even get two colored, different colored pencils. One for the indicatives, one for the imperatives. James 5.16, the imperative, confess your sin to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. But the indicative precedes. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of heavenly light. That's the context, the frame for our confession of sin and our prayers for one another. We do that because our Heavenly Father has good, perfect gifts to bestow on each and every one of us. The Apostle John, the imperative, 1 John 4, 7, love one another. John 3, 1, the indicative, consider how great is the love which the Father has bestowed upon us in calling us his children. The apostles learned their grammar from Jesus. The imperative, repent, believe the gospel, follow me. But the indicative precedes, the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Lord really broke this open when I was in Caserta, Italy. It's part of a, um, a big conference congress and uh, sharing the platform with somebody else. And, and most of the time, lots of times, that's been a wonderful 
experience to get to know other men and women of God. And, and uh, this guy in the coffee room seemed like a really nice bloke. Seemed really nice. He stepped into the pulpit and he became another man. And for 50 minutes, he preached in the imperative that we weren't praying hard enough. We weren't praying long enough. There was too much compromise in our lives. And it just went on and on like that for 50 minutes. It was brutal. And none of us could argue with him. He was right on all counts. We weren't praying hard enough. We weren't praying long enough. There was compromise in our lives. And with us as the sorry lot that we were, there was no way God was going to send revival to the likes of us. Oh, we had a coffee break and friend met me in the foyer, and he said, uh, you're preaching next, aren't you? And I said, uh-huh. He said, what are you going to do? I said, uh, I got to raise 500 people from the dead first. <laughs> the imperative is not good news when it stands on its own. And it is certainly not good news for the poor or the poor in spirit. If the divine order isn't established, the indicative of grace going before, it's brutal. And you may have been in the meetings where where the feature preacher said, the Spirit of the Lord is in the house tonight. And if you want your healing, run down to the altar now and receive in the name of Jesus. That guy doesn't get it. Because if you're really sick, and if you've been really sick for a really long time, you can't run anywhere for anything. You're too tired, too sore, too beat up, too broken, too despairing to run anywhere. I get fussed about this one. Because it really is an undoing of the gospel. God comes to us in our need. He comes looking for us. Wherever it is, we manage to lose ourselves. For this reason. What reason? Because our God and Father... (laughs) has conferred on us in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. It's for that reason that Paul kneels before the Father. Just kneels. Doesn't kneel in prayer. He just kneels. He's not doing something. He's being with someone big difference right there. In terms of ministry, 
And I, I understand the logistics and all of that, so hold this loosely, please. But in terms of ministry, instead of inviting people forward for prayer, we really ought to say something like this. If you need a touch of the Lord, if you need healing, if you need grace imparted to you, put up your hand and we'll come to you. Because there are folks who literally have done all that they can do to get to the meeting. If that's you, God bless you in your faithfulness. Thank you for showing up. Mighty man, mighty woman of valor. Put up your hand. If it hurts too much to raise your hand, just elbow the person next to you. Say, will you put your hand up for me? And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not goofing around here. If, if you feel that kind of desperation, and, and that kind of release, somebody gets it. Put up your hand and have your neighbor raise your hand. Just one. And would think there's more than one here. We want to pray for you. A couple of you in the middle put up your hand earlier. In a crowd this size, I'm surprised there aren't more who are hanging on by the skin of their teeth and really don't have the strength, don't have the wherewithal to rise up and do the brave heart thing. If we've got to do the brave heart thing, there's no good news for the poor or for the poor in spirit. If life's been too hard on them, Those of you who do, have your hand up. Bless you. Those of you around, will you just kind of turn? Just kind of look around wherever you are. Somebody sort, somebody volunteer. You can pray for me. <laughs> Pick me. Pick me. It's been really hard for a really long time. Can we just love on each other for a moment here? You might say, well, I don't know how to pray for them. I don't know what the need is. We talked about delegated authority this morning. The anointing, the Spirit of the Lord upon us. In the name of Jesus, speak blessing. Just turn to those around you. Lay your sweaty hand on their shoulder gently and say, I bless you in the name of Jesus. I cannot tell you, as so I've traveled around the world, how many people have burst into tears with those simple words, I bless you in the name of Jesus. Lots of us have been overtly cursed. There have been lots of us who've never been blessed, spoken blessing over our lives. Will you just have a look around? Don't Folks, the Lord's called you here to receive grace. Don't, don't 
don't have any reservation to put your hand up, just kind of nod to those around and go, please, may I receive your prayers. And turn, turn around, turn around. Just look for somebody. Lay your hand gently on their shoulder. very graciously speak blessing. And if there isn't anybody in deep need, just husbands, lay your hand gently on your beloved wife and speak blessing over her. Or your neighbor, or your pastor, or your deacon, or somebody. Speak the blessing of the Lord the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm conferred in Jesus Christ. I bless you to know the mercies of Jesus new this day. I bless you to know that inner strength and power the Spirit brings, the Spirit confers. I bless you to know the height and the depth length and the breadth of the love of Christ and to know it though it's beyond knowledge so may you be filled with the very fullness of God How many of you could do with a little bit more of that on a kind of regular basis? Jamie, come and let's worship our way into lunch, shall we? Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior.